You're listening to the School of Reinvention podcast. I'm your host, Roger Osorio. I'm the author of The Journey to Reinvention, How to Build a Life Aligned with Your Values, Passion, and Purpose. I'm also the founder of The School of Reinvention, a community-based coaching platform where we help people define success on their terms and reinvent themselves to make it happen. I believe that as the years pass, our values, passions, and purpose evolve, and we must reinvent ourselves in order to stay aligned with who we really are and what matters to us. This podcast is all about exploring different journeys to reinvention so that you can learn the strategies for how to successfully launch your next reinvention. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the School of Reinvention podcast. I am your host, Roger Osorio. I'm a reinvention coach and author of the book, The Journey to Reinvention, How to Build a Life Aligned with Your Values, Passions, and Purpose. I'm incredibly excited to be here with Kimberly Sauceda. She, with over 20 years of leading top-tier companies, including Apple, where she launched the iPhone 6. Kimberly partners with organizations, teams, and leaders to reach their full potential and move from overwhelmed to unstoppable. She built high-performing collaborative teams that drove 2x market growth. Her proven track record of success includes the creation of the first ever iPhone refurb program. She knows how to galvanize teams for engagement, retention, and innovation. Now, a strategic partner to organizations, she leverages her leadership and coaching expertise on how to grow and retain talent, as well as maximize the results created by individuals and teams, and is a sought-after thought partner for HR leaders and executives in Fortune 500 companies. Her best-selling book, Meet Me on the Bridge, has been called the guidebook for how to manage. She outlines the nine bricks for creating strong relationships at work for both employees and managers. As a certified leadership and executive coach, she supports leaders and teams with her signature six-month leadership programs, her workshops, team coaching, off-sites, and one-on-one executive leadership coaching. Kimberly, I, well, I mean, you and I know each other from when we were both on the journey to becoming authors. You know, we were both part of that same cohort. And it's so cool that years later, that started in 2021. Wow, it's crazy how many years have flown by already. And here we are in 2024. And we get to talk a little bit about what you do, your journey to getting to this point where you are now running your business from overwhelmed to unstoppable. And of course, we're going to talk a little bit about becoming an author and all of these things. But thank you so much for making time to share some of your journey to reinvention with us. Thank you. I'm really excited to uh, to be here. As I've been thinking about it, there are just there's so many cool things about reinventing yourself. So I'm excited for our chat together today. So tell us a little bit about your background. I remember when we were talking a little bit more about, you know, just your own history, you know, you, you started in a place and you'll tell us in a moment where most people don't move out of. Tell us about that. Yeah. So I grew up in Idaho, uh, the second biggest town at a whopping 60,000 people. And you're right. Most people just stay there. Like their whole thing is, is actually just staying in Idaho and, I, I knew from 11 that I wanted to do international marketing and all my friends thought that I was a little bit crazy. Like, why do you leave? And in fact, I decided that I wanted to create my own international studies, international MBA, roughly like in undergrad though, they didn't have it. So I crafted my own and then went from there, lived in Germany for a while, got an international MBA and then worked at a whole slew of 
you know, really top companies, Nestle, Clorox, eventually went to Apple and worked on the iPhone, as you said, helped launch iPhone 6, and then went to Logitech, ran marketing for smart home, and then decided that it wasn't really the thing that was lighting me up anymore. So then I moved to being a coach and owning my own company, O2U, helping people go from this kind of overwhelmed to unstoppable. Yeah. And then author, keynote, all the things that, uh, that we talked about. So let's, let's go back to your time at university because you advocated pretty strongly for creating something that was custom and something that was not off the shelf. Yes. And I want to hear more about that. And, and here's why. So, and I say this so that you can kind of tell it in this, through this lens. But what I'm hearing there is that you had an idea of something that you wanted and it was not currently being offered. And you, you asked, right? You found a way. And I want to double click on that. How did you make that happen? Tell us a little bit more about what you wanted, like kind of that moment when you realized, I want something that's not offered. And then tell us about how you went about getting it. It's actually funny. Originally, I was engaged and then the engagement broke up and I decided I wanted to graduate and I didn't have enough credits to graduate. And so I went to the Dean of Students and I said, okay, hear me out. <laughs> this is going to sound a little bit crazy, but I've got an idea. I not only want to graduate, but I want to really craft an international business marketing kind of a thing. And she's like, we don't have that. And I don't know what it is that you really want to do here. And I said, well, what if I take this international studies degree? And then I also have three minors, business, economics, and German. So it kind of looks like an international marketing, you know, with a, a minor in German. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go and I'm going to be in Germany. I'll take some classes and then I want to go and travel around Europe and I'll send you. And as soon as I said, send you, she's like, oh, postcards and where do you want to go? And it was literally this whole synergistic conversation, Roger, where I was <laughs> like, well, I would really like to go here. Oh, I've always wanted to go there. Oh, would you go here? And I, yeah, that's amazing. I'll definitely go there. Sounds and good. We just I'll stop by. Talking. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love how so you were funny. probably going to say, I'll send you a paper that I write, uh, you know, 20 pages per city I visit. And they're <laughs> like, I'll take a postcard. And you're like, postcards. Yes. Yeah, you, you're exactly right. I thought I was going to have to come home and write some big, huge, long essay about how this changed my life, which it did, by the way. Yeah. But I, I was expecting like some big, I don't know, master's thesis, something or other to earn all of these different credits. And it was hysterical because I actually said, I need X number of credits. And she said, okay, sounds good. I like what you're doing. And there's no reason she should have said yes to it, except I came to her with a plan that then we crafted and co-created together and nailed it. And then afterwards, she told me that this is something she'd always wanted to do. And so me coming and talking to her about it was just incredible. And what's crazy is in the moment, I had no idea how I was really going to actually make it work, Roger, yeah. right? Like I just knew this is what I'd always wanted to do. And come hell or high water, I was going to make it happen, right? Yeah, you know, so many important things to take away from that story that I think apply at any stage of our life. But one is, be clear about what you want. And it sounded like you were very clear about these, like an idea that you had. It wasn't perfectly constructed, but what you had 
what you knew was already clear. You were able to communicate it clearly. Second, you asked, like you asked. And, and that's a hard thing. I know I still battle with that where if it's not part of the design, I, I, I don't always want to ask right away. Like that's not my kind of default. My wife is the complete opposite. She doesn't really care for the design or the structure or the rules or the policy. She's just going to ask for what she wants and see what happens. Right. And most of the time she gets what she wants (laughs) by just asking. And so that's what is so powerful about this story is that just asking created this opportunity for you to connect with this other human at a very human level, (laughs) you know, someone that we can typically look at as authoritative, right? You know, oh, this is the Dean of students, you know, somebody I have to be very proper with and all of that. You connected with her on a very human level. And it turns out there was something she's always wanted to do that you are now pitching. And she's like, yes, of course, I have to find the way to do this as well. And you never know unless you ask. And then there are two other really interesting things about it is I tapped into something I hadn't tapped into before, which was just a really strong belief in myself that like, okay, I can make this happen. I never traveled abroad. I didn't know exactly the ins and outs of how to do this. And a lot of my friends thought that I was completely crazy. And the other piece is just, it's asking for it. And it's also being really flexible, right? Sometimes we, we build the plan and we think, this is how it needs to go. And so I'm going to ask for the thing that I want, but then we're not flexible when we're trying to co-create it with somebody else, Mm -hmm. right? We think we kind of get really wed to the idea that you have this great plan. And so you're not as open to crafting it with somebody. And I think when you're doing any kind of reinvention or when you are crafting something together with somebody else, You have to like really listen and be open to the other person's suggestions. Absolutely. That's a really great point. I think anytime you, I I call it making the impossible possible. So whatever was, you know, it was designed one way, but you have another way of seeing it. And to your point, that will rarely ever happen the exact way you conceive it and you imagine it. However, if you open yourself up to a conversation, to a negotiation, to, I love how you put it actually, to a co-creation process then you can arrive way closer to your vision. And I would argue that at times, and I don't know if you would agree with this in this particular case, but you might end up with an even better outcome. Oh, we absolutely ended up with an even better outcome. And what was incredible is that even the way that it ended up didn't even go according to plan, right? Mm -hmm. I ended up being on, in Europe, there are trains that separate right? Yeah. And we were supposed to go to Graz. We ended up going to a different city and getting there at midnight because I was really sick. And um, my friend that I was with spoke no German. And so when it said that the train separated, we ended up in the completely the wrong place and she was freaking out. Well, it turns out she really wanted to go to Rome. I was kind of meh, Rome, maybe, maybe not. But we ended up making like this decision on the fly. Yep, let's go to Rome and have three incredible, incredible days in Rome. So I also think it's just how do you really find the good things and how do you really focus on the things to make things happen instead of, you know, it's that thing. 
you find the things that you're going to look for. If you think that there's going to be a problem, you see all of the problems. If you think there's going to be a solution, your brain will find all of the solutions. Mm-hmm. You know, I talk about this with my clients all the time, right? Yep. It's why I encourage gratitude journals and stuff like that. Cause you see the things that you seek. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And you're so right. I mean, I, I've experienced this where because of that co-creation process, often we end up with better outcomes. And then of course, to your point, once you get on that journey, I mean, truth be told, you can't really predict any journey, you know, as, uh, as right. well-planned as it might be, as well-walked as the path might be, there's still so yeah. many things that could happen. I'm sure there's a lot of people who were on a path that was well-walked and well-paved before, and then COVID happened. And so much for whatever was the normal yes. path, every path got disrupted at the same time in 2020. So you never really know, but you all figured it out. You had cool adventures as a result. And I feel like this story is just such a great example of, you know, for someone younger, like you never really know what's possible in university. So just ask. But in reality, this story could have happened at any moment in your career. It could have happened in any place, you know, whether it was early in your career, mid-level management or leadership, senior level, doesn't really matter. And now perhaps in your own business. So very cool story. I, I really like this one a lot. Let's talk about your time working on the iPhone project you know, just such a cool project to get to work on. And I remember when we connected in that author program, you know, you, you shared this a bit and I, that always stood out. I'm like, that's so cool. Like, you know, that you got, tell us some cool stories about that. I feel like that's just going to be cool. <laughs> oh, there are all kinds of crazy stories with that. I mean, it was such an amazing place to be. Mm-hmm. One of the things that happened was we found that we had a whole bunch of iPhones that needed to have a new home. And there was an iPad refer program at the time, but not an iPhone one. And the iPhone refer program could not be the exact same because of a whole lot of different reasons, like the Chinese free trade zone, all of these different things. Mm -hmm. And this is actually a moment where I realized one of my superpowers. And that is Well, then I would call it connecting. Now I would call it building bridges, right? It was absolutely crazy because we were starting to, you know, finalize all of the packaging and all of these different things with the iPhone. And I pulled together a team that was already like literally over capacity for what they could do and said, okay, we're going to pull together. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to create this iPhone refurb project. We're not going to call it refurb because we can't. We need packaging, we need legal. Like I was pulling together all of these different people. And in just a matter of months, we created this multi-million dollar new line of business. And the thing is, is it's it's all because of really incredible relationships. And so when whether you are trying to, you know, like reinvent yourself or you're trying to move to the next level or you just really want to have work go well relationships are absolutely so so critical and it is only because i have these incredible relationships and could sit down with people and had really high trust and lots of respect and incredible connection that we moved everything so quickly together i mean it just i feel like it should be some kind of like Harvard business case about like, here's why trust matters, people. So yeah, it was, it was absolutely incredible. And a lot of the things that I 
use in my leadership program came mm-hmm. out of that. Like how, like, what are the lessons that I learned about yeah. building trust and having respect? And one easy thing is just, you move so fast, you don't spend time appreciating other people. And so I'm a huge fan of if we're working together, I will send a note to the manager of the person that I'm working with and say, oh my gosh, Sonia killed it with this packaging program. She just went above and beyond, absolutely loved it. And then of course the manager shares that with Sonia and then Sonia feels amazing. You know, so it's just appreciation, really knowing the other person, trust, all those things are absolutely critical. You know, what I think is really cool about this story is how, and what year was this when this particular project happened? I want to say it was 2014, 15. Don't hold me to that. That's what I was roughly estimating. It's been a minute. Yeah, I was roughly estimating it was around then. And so here we are like 10 years later and this, and some of these experiences have, you know, played a significant role in your book. And what I want to highlight about this is because some of my listeners are people who are considering becoming authors. And of course, sometimes, you know how it is at the beginning, we all went through this and many of our cohort members went through this, you know, what the heck am I going to write about and where am I going to get these stories? And there are a lot of stories in our past already, stories that can help us start build ideas, you know, build on ideas and, you know, and, and obviously this story was a key ingredient to your book from which you were able to build a lot of research and ideas to then, you know, fill the pages of your book with valuable ideas for how to actually implement something like this practices and learn from it. And so I want to point out to anyone listening that, I mean, this goes back to 2014, but Kimberly didn't start writing her book until 2021. So there was a significant gap between the stories happening. And for anybody considering a book, you never know where those stories come from. There's a lot in our, in our lives that we've already lived. A lot of great stories from which you can build. Yeah. And, um, so there's a game that I play with a lot of my clients called peaks and valleys, Mm -hmm. where we look at the lessons and, you know, some of the strengths that you really have to find your superpowers. Mm -hmm. And if you look and you say, okay, so here was a really big peak, right? What did I learn? What did I take from it? what did I leverage that I already had or what are things that I now leverage? Right. And you can do the same thing with the valleys because, Oh my gosh, Roger, when I started managing people, my, my grandfather is amazing. And he was, you know, in charge of lumber mills. And this is a story that's in the book, right. That we could choose to go into it or not, but he was such an amazing manager. I thought no problem, right. I can nail being a manager oh boy, was I wrong, right? I mean, I I thought, hey, who wants to be micromanaged? That's just crazy. And, and I assumed that the way I would want to be managed really hands off is the way everybody would want to be managed. Mm-hmm. And originally, this person and I were working really well together. We were sitting side by side. She was this great marketing manager, killing it with ROI, But as soon as I went and did other things, all of the ROI started falling off the charts. It was crazy, Roger. And I had no idea why. Yeah. And so week after week, like everything was plummeting. She wasn't turning stuff in. It was getting worse. So, and I was trying different things, you know, to like still be hands off, but kind of encourage hands off, but kind of be like, Hey, what the heck? And I finally just sat down with her 
kills me that it took like four weeks, Roger, because I'm sure my grandfather would have done it like week one, right? And I sat down and really got to know her and what it was that was going on and what she really wanted. And I think that's a big thing, you know, is like, okay, what does somebody else really need from you? And I found out that what she really wanted was a few minutes in the morning to talk about where we were going and a few minutes at night where she would be like, look, here's what I did. And, and like, and great job, right? That would have killed me. I would have thought that you had no trust and no respect. And like, I would have, I would have made a story up about that, right? But totally inaccurate. For her, that made her feel really connected to me. And that's the thing that she needed. And everything took off, unless anybody believed that, hey, she's really like super needy and doesn't know how to do things well. She's now a VP of marketing. Like she's super smart, super talented. Wow. Just for her, that was the thing. And so, you know, for all of your listeners, like I feel like you can learn so much on both sides of things. Because that story is actually 2008, maybe. So like, my point is like way older than even the other one, right? Yeah. Have you read any of the work that the Harvard Business School did on Sir Alex Ferguson, Manchester United's uh, like just legendary manager? So real quick, like version of this. So Manchester United, English football club had one of their uh, legendary managers, Sir Alex Ferguson, made a sir. uh, So that, you know, just to show how like uh, respected he was in England. Uh, He was the manager, I think for like, and in European soccer, football, the manager is the name of the coach, like the coach is a manager because they run a lot of things. They're not just in charge of the team. They're in charge of reserve teams. They're in charge of even in the case of Sir Alex Ferguson, football operations, even like cafeteria folks, everybody. Like he was in charge of the whole organization. It's like a general manager slash coach role. And in European football, they have these kinds of roles. So anyway, his management style was considered just legendary because how do you last for that long in one of the toughest environments like on the planet and the English Premier League, best league easily in the world for soccer. And yeah. I mean, just the hardest place to have to keep a job for that long for like three decades, but he did it. And so in his final year, when he announced that he was going to be stepping down, he had one more season, Harvard Business School decided to do a a whole study on him. And so they sent researchers to spend the entire season with him and just follow him around, record cameras Uh everywhere. They listened in, they had sessions, they recorded everything. And they learned so much about his style. But one of the key things that he talked about, which is, I think it comes out in, there's a documentary on him on, I'm sure it's Netflix, Amazon, who knows where. But one of the things he shares was that as a manager or to be a successful manager, you have to take on a lot of identities or I kind of like what you were saying, I guess you have to treat people very differently. Everyone has a different set of needs. And the way he put it was when I was the manager, you know, there were days where I was the father, the brother, the uncle, the priest, uh, you know, the, the, the manager, the coach, I mean, whatever my players needed, you know, and in some cases, the same player might've needed me to be different people um, at different times, yes, yeah. but he goes, yeah. that's what he credits a lot of his success to. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's really cool. And I recently read an article, uh, another really great case study 
on Bruce Arena, who was an, uh, an American soccer coach. And he coached some major league soccer teams and he was a US national team coach for a while, very successful as well. And when people talk about his time and journalists and they interview him, he too, David Beckham was actually one of his players when David played in LA Galaxy. And he says the same thing. He goes, you know, what I love about Bruce Arena was that he understood his players so well that he knew exactly what they needed when they needed it. And yeah. that's how he, so rather than coming in and saying, I'm one style of manager, you know, you got to like, you know, figure it out and do it my way, or you can go somewhere. And he was like, no, like you are my players and yes. I'll figure, I'll figure yep. you out. And then I'll work and tailor my approach to each of you so that I can, you know, get the best out of each one of you. And, you know, to have someone like David Beckham, you know, who's played for the most legendary coaches, including Sir Alex Ferguson, yeah. you know, to sing your praises that way and refer to your management style like that, I think is just really cool. But it's a theme that I'm hearing from really successful, you know, football managers who talk about like, or, you know, where they manage in this way. And that's what I'm hearing from you is that, you know, you had this one person yeah, who yeah. needed a very specific thing. And, and once you figured that out and the two of you cracked that code, I mean, it was just like, all right, now she can yeah. really start to take off. Yeah. And it, it's amazing because, you know, people say, oh, I don't have time for this fluffy stuff. Right. But mm. the thing is, is that the relationships, wherever you are, that is the stuff that really helps drive yes. results. Right. And so, I mean, the, the whole part of the book, the whole point of the book yeah. is that both sides have to build the bridge. Right. Mm -hmm. If only one side builds, then you just have a lookout. So both sides have to build trust. Both sides have to build respect. Both sides have to build connection, which is exactly what you're saying. Like to me, it's about personalizing your leadership. And I talk to organizations about that all the time. And like the leadership development program is how do you really look at that? And not a one-way side, you know, like whoever the employee is doing that, you doing yeah. that. So both sides are really understanding the needs so that both sides mm -hmm. can show up in the best way possible. And then you have this thriving organization. Yeah. So. You know, I, I'm just thinking back to one of the, if not the best manager I ever had. And I just remember how, when I, at that point in my career, what I needed and what he, I think realized was that I, I needed a manager who was more like a father like a second father, uh -huh. like that style. Uh -huh. um, because I was young, yeah. I had moved to, I, I was, you know, just a year out of university and I moved to a place where I had no family, no friends. So I was far away from home first, you know, first time. I mean, I went to university a little away, but never that far away. And so yeah. I think he just picked up on a few things and just realized, you know, I think what he needs is this. And, you know, that reflected in his management style. And wow, like it, I just responded so well to that. I loved it. Yes. I thought it was really yeah. great. And that helped me at the beginning. And then it shifted and changed as I started to settle in, right. as I started to become a man and really feel like, okay, I can live anywhere. And I can, I can, yeah. you know, yeah. I found my way, you know, he changed. He was more like a, you know, almost like a, treated me like a peer at times, bouncing ideas off of me. And I, yes. and I realized that shift. Yes. I was like, wow, this is so different than this right. would not have happened in year one and two, but here we are in year right. three and four. And, you know, here we are side by side tackling problems together. And it's so cool that he's invited me and I'm still young. So, you know, it's really cool that, you know, he was able to do that. Yeah. And having that growth with you, right. Yes. And allowing you to grow and growing with you is just, that's incredible. Mm -hmm. You know, like that's, that is the mark of a really good leader that they recognize the opportunity they have with you mm -hmm. and to really, you know, 
stay curious about you and what you need and making sure that they're adapting as you're also growing and adapting. Absolutely. And I bet you showed up like in an incredible way for him. And we're like, all right, let's go. I am super happy to, what do you need? Let me over deliver on that. Exactly. Because of course, like I appreciated that so much. So yeah, I mean, it was whatever he needed. I was there. It's funny, but even after we both left the company in separate moments, but we both left and and there was something he needed help with once uh, a business he was trying to get off the ground. And I was just so happy to be able to have the opportunity to help him like do that by being, you know, his first employee to, you know, get that business off the ground. And it was just cool to be able to return that. So yeah, absolutely. Over, you go over and above you, you know, you do everything possible uh, for that person. And that's what I think these football managers have done so well with players. Like when you look at a David Beckham, David Beckham gives like 150% in every, like, you know, when he was at Manchester United, he was known for that. Why? Because look who he had as his coach. Cristiano Ronaldo had Sir Alex Ferguson as well. You know, when Cristiano Ronaldo, he shares a story and this is where Ferguson had to be more like a, like a fatherly figure or like a, maybe like an uncle or something like that. When Cristiano's father was ill and was, you know, close to maybe passing away and then eventually did pass away. I mean, you know, Cristiano was a young player at that point in time. And Ferguson knew like this guy needs to go and be with his family right now. And of course, Cristiano wanted to be with, like, thought, you know, hey, I, I have to be responsible. I'm a professional. I got to be with the team. We got an important match coming. Yeah. This is the EPL. Yeah. Like, you, you don't miss. But Ferguson said, nothing is more important than family. So go get the hell uh, out of here. Go be with yeah. your family. Cristiano Ronaldo, like, fast forward like 15 years or something like that. He's sitting in an interview where they brought him and Ferguson together and they're just having a chat and recording that. And he tells that story. He goes, you know, the, that, that, that was so mattered so much. And it's those moments, right? When you have that kind of connection, that kind of trust with each other, my gosh, like anything is possible. And look, you, you give way to legends, you know, people who become legendary. Exactly. Yes. Just like the person you mentioned who became a VP in marketing now. Right. Yeah. Impressive thing to me about the whole bridge building is it doesn't have to be a massive thing each day, right? It it, it isn't a massive lift each day, right? It is intentional mm-hmm. and it is consistency, Yep. but it doesn't have to be something really big, you know, yeah. consistency and intentionality are both very, very important because any bridge just by nature of it is decaying a little bit. Mm-hmm. If you're not doing that, that consistently kind of helping, maintaining, strengthening. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So or let's fast forward a little bit and let's talk about the moment you started thinking about leaving corporate, leaving the you know full-time employment and starting your own thing. Tell us a little bit about that. How, how was that inspired? How did that come to be? Yeah. So I'm going to tell you two moments here. One of them is when I started really thinking about how important relationships are. And the other one is when I was like, oh, all right, I may need something other than marketing at this point. So... And they're both a little bit related in a way. One of them, I was literally at this gorgeous resort and watching the waves come in. I mean, Roger, it was just, it was amazing. We were there for three days to do all of this strategy and you would have loved it. We were doing strategy, mission, values, like let's go. We're reinventing what we're going to do as a business group. But the crazy thing is that the VP there, the GM, 
was uh, fire gunning some of the ideas. And so this leadership team that I was on was having a hard time kind of coming to the table with ideas, right? There just wasn't the same kind of respect that was being shown. And then that person was getting upset, right? That we weren't coming back. And that's when I started really thinking like, whoa, okay, relationships and how you treat other people are so critical. So if, if I hadn't done marketing, what I really wanted was like psych or sociology or something. So I've always been just super curious about why people do the things that they do. So I really started diving into the dynamics of relationships, right? So that was one piece. And then fast forward a bit, the team that I was on, um, half of it had been downsized, right? And I took three weeks off, went on a road trip, had the best time of my life with my boys. And it was just the three of us hanging out, surprises every single day. And I started really reflecting on like what I wanted, right? Where was I getting excited? Because I've always had this like three-legged stool for what I want in a, in a job, right? Am, am I engaged? Like, is this a product that I really like? Am I learning and growing and am I having an impact? And I'd been interviewing for these other different positions like CMO and head of marketing and all this stuff. And the time when it really, really hit me, Roger, I was sitting and we were talking about stock options and I was not excited. And I was like, okay, well, I would be learning and growing and I guess I'd make an impact, but it's not really the impact that I'm looking for at this point. So I had to pause. I mean, if I'm talking stock options and I'm not like it, just let's go. All right. Ready to go. Maybe not the role that I should be jumping into. And so I started thinking about it and started reevaluating everything that I did like, like what lit me up, what got me excited. And it was much more about, you know, elevating the skills of the people that I was managing. It was really like that thread was all about relationships and connection and, and really working with others. And so I started doing coaching and I'm not like super, like I like to kind of test things out. So I kind of was doing it the same way if my life was a product, how I would do it, right? Like I did some interviews, I tested it out, like I shadowed in a way, you know? So I tried like one weekend of a coaching program. Like I'm not gonna commit fully yet, Roger. I'm just gonna do the weekend and we'll see how it goes, right? <laughs> so yeah. Wow, I, I, like I love that. Like in one. <laughs> you know, it, and the part that I wanna double click on here is the experiment is the test is this very intentional hey i want to just dip my toes in the water my foot at best but i'm not going to go deeper than that i just want to see what it's like and what it feels like yeah. and i feel like that you know i've learned this on my journey but also talking to others like i have found that that experiment is so important and many times when i talk to people who hesitate to, to make a move for reinvention it's because what they're looking at as the move is not a weekend it's like the next five years of my life or something like that or the next year or two and then of course yeah the next if you're looking at a two three year choice 
of course that's scary, you know, but if you look at a two day choice, you're like, that's doable. What's the worst that can happen? Yeah. I don't like it. It doesn't feel right. Then I just find something else or I, I test something else. Exactly. Out. But that is so yeah. important. Can you tell us more about that thinking that led to an experiment and any other comments you have on the power of experimentation in just in your life? Yeah. So what's funny is that a little over five years ago, I went to this weekend and it was like a two day workshop and you could write out like, okay, if you're going to live your life and make like some small changes to your life, what would it be like? If you were going to stay, so like if I was staying in marketing, what would it look like? If you were going to stay in marketing, but you're going to make maybe a bigger change, what would it look like? If you were going to live like your wildest dreams life, what would it look like? So that is five plus years ago. I wrote everything out for like my wildest dreams life and, and did all of those. And I backed it into like, here's what you would first do. Here's what you like year one, year two, year three. And then I've done products, you know, product management, product marketing for so long. I actually backed it up even more and said, okay, how do I do product market fit? How do I do, you know, how do I interview people for just like some information about it? How do I, because it was a way that I knew that I would feel more comfortable with all of those different pieces. So I tried out the two days of the coaching workshop, absolutely loved it. And then I actually went and signed up for all the rest of the classes. I did that while I was still working. So it felt more safe to me, if you will, right? So I'm doing it. And, and my manager knew that I was going to be taking time off. And then when I went and did certification, I put it into my goals that I needed to coach people. So then originally I didn't have to charge for it if I didn't want to, and I would still get the hours. So I was doing it in these ways that felt very safe and comfortable originally, but an interesting thing happened. The universe kind of intervened and in March of 2020, I was offered a big promotion for the job that I was in, or I needed to say no and, 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 you know, pursue coaching. Mm. And I decided right as the pandemic was kicking off, literally we were like two weeks into the pandemic, Roger. And I said no to the sure thing. And and said, I'll work for another six months. And then Mm -hmm. I'm going to go full time into coaching. And I think, no, I know that all of those experiments helped me feel much more comfortable and confident Mm -hmm. in, in doing all of it. You know, that people say seeing is believing. I also think that believing is seeing, Mm -hmm. right? So again, on the whole idea of if you start to look for the ways that things will work out and you believe that things will work out, you're going to see the open doors. And that's what I started seeing. And it's also the same time, you know, when I was like, okay, maybe I'll play with writing a book and maybe we'll see these other pieces. And then just more doors have opened up from that. I love that. And, you know, the unique way you were able to structure it where you were able to decide I'll work for six more months. And, and again, like, you know, while these things are not guaranteed for anybody, of course, it's one of those things that you never know as well. Like, right. If you don't ask, if you don't 
pitch something, um, you never know. Like, I mean, and I would imagine, you know, for perhaps a role like yours, it's easier to have that much time for the company to have that much time to figure out how to replace you and how to work with, uh, or we're, we're trying to get a replacement ready. So, you know, it's one of those things that there's so many ways to do this. There's no one size fits all. There's no one size that you're going to have to figure out. It's worth asking because you never know how you might be able to transition or how you might be able to structure or engineer this transition. And I also want to acknowledge the part you said at the beginning where you, earlier in that story where you were talking about how you ran these experiments while you were still employed. And I think that's so important. I mean, I, I've done it both ways. I think in my first, when I quit corporate the first time, sometimes I think that I quit too early in, in one way. I knew what I wanted to do. I had tested enough to know that what I was leaving for, I was in love with. So that was good because I didn't just leave because I wasn't happy and then said, right. okay, now I got to go find something that makes me happy. No, I already knew right. the other thing that made me happy. But what I didn't have was, all right, I've figured out how to generate at least enough income to extend my runway and all of that in a really solid way. And I had done that while I was earning a paycheck. And I didn't get to that point when I quit. And so there was that little bit of discomfort, live and learn, of course. But, you know, as I hear more stories from other people when, that I interview on the show, there are so many different ways that people do it, but what ends up working. And I think it gives people the best chance of success. And actually in my book, I did share a stat. I, if I remember correctly, it is that people who start their venture while they're still in their full-time job. So they started on the side before quitting. So if they wait to quit and they start it first as a side hustle, have a 30% success rate in that business or in bringing that business to life, or at least for it lasting longer. And when we think about how low the probability of businesses succeeding are, which is like super low, 30% is a lot. Uh, I mean, if, if I, it, yes, if I'm, exactly. and, and I'm giving you the conservative version, cause it might for all I know be like, it's, you know, 30% greater chance or something like that. But yeah. whichever way it goes, bottom line is you are definitely on the better side of the probability equation here. You are no longer on this like, well, you know, 5% of businesses or one or three or whatever they say, you know, will make it five years or so. These people will have a business that lasts longer and it's so important to do it. But also the, the stress that you avoid, you know, financial stress is thing. a killer. I think it's not just the, I think it's the financial stress couples with the mindset, right? Mm -hmm. That then it's so much easier to be in this, everything's going to work out. How do I find like the open doors? How do I, you know, make the connections? How do I, all these things. If it isn't this like, oh my gosh, uh, money is just going like this yeah. and there's no, 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 this part of it. Right. Yeah. Because this scarcity mindset versus an abundance mindset or the different limiting beliefs that you have it's such an interesting thing, whether you're going for a promotion or, you know, you're stepping out to do something totally different that you haven't ever tried before, or, you know, you're going off and becoming a coach or becoming an author, doing these things on your own, you can fall into this mindset of it's not going to work because X or Y, yeah. right? I mean, growing up in Idaho, I had a like, oh, I don't know if I can do this because I mean, I'm from Idaho, Roger. I, we, <laughs> this is the funniest story. So 
Back in 2012, when I had just started at Apple, one of the things that they do, they take uh, security and confidentiality very seriously, as you would imagine. So all the new hires go and sit in this massive auditorium and I'm sitting there and there is this rather large, intimidating security guard that's walking back and forth on the stage and he's saying all of these things. I could not tell you to this day what he said because in my head, I just kept thinking, somebody is going to come and realize that I shouldn't be here. Like I'm this girl from Idaho. How does a girl from Idaho get to be, you know, in product marketing at Apple? Somebody's going to come and be like, dah, dah, dah. Um, excuse me, Ms. Sauceda, we've realized that you should not be here. We've uh, made a terrible mistake. Me. Yeah, exactly. We've <laughs> made a terrible mistake. I mean, when I was in the auditorium, like yeah. already signed all the documents, right? Mm-hmm. Like I was there and I still wasn't like claiming that for me, yeah. you know, because of that weird belief. And then it wasn't, it wasn't until, so every time I start a job, I would always do the same thing. I always go and I talk to different people and I get to know them again, like this whole bridge building thing. How do you like mm-hmm. to work together? What do you think works really well here? If you want to get like a gold star from other people, all these questions, right? It wasn't until I started having those little like informational meetings that I realized, oh, wait, they're very much like me. Actually, I can do this. Okay. You know, because we build different things up in our head that like, oh, I can't be this because why? Like, and what? And so one of the things that I talk to clients about is, all right, so if there's this kind of confidence gap, what do we need to close it? right? Mm-hmm. What's that story that you're telling yourself? Mm. And how do we kind of translate that along? Like if you think about it, all, all of my career, have I been all about relationships and connections, but like connections also in like storytelling. And yeah. so now it's like helping others retell stories. Like what's that limiting story that you're telling yourself that you can't do this because of that and I think that's true for reinvention too, right? Mm-hmm. What's that story that you're maybe saying, well, I've always been like this. I don't know that I can be like this. Yeah. You know, you and I like had an interesting conversation in our prep call where we talked about this idea of, you know, in a, you run a half marathon and yet, you know, you're still like not calling yourself a runner. You're like, wait, but I just ran a half marathon. So, I mean, so by definition, you are a runner. (laughs) You might not be a professional runner, an Olympic runner, but you're a runner nonetheless. Yeah. And, and, you know, here you are, you're sitting in the auditorium, you've signed all the papers. I mean, you've got the badge, you've got it all. You're like, you know, you're in the building. I mean, I mean, at this point they let you in and they're, they're telling you secret stuff and you're still like, I'm not sure I belong in here. I'm not an Apple employee yet. (laughs) And it's just like, well, wow, what's it going to take for you to say I am an Apple employee? Or what does it take for us to say I am a runner or I am an author or I am a whatever it is that I want to become? And I love what you said about what's that story that closes the gap? Because obviously in your case and, and in the case of the running story where you've run the half marathon or in the case of authors and our fellow authors, you know, who wrote the manuscript, wrote the final manuscript, you know, even before publishing and still after publishing, what's that story that we need with, even with all that evidence stacked up in favor of us being able to say that thing, what's that yes. gap 
that what's that missing story that we need or what's the story that is creating the gap that is not allowing us or giving us permission to say I am. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's such a fascinating thing. And if you think about it, you talk to yourself more than anybody else, mm-hmm. right? You have yeah. that internal dialogue. And so if you're always telling yourself that you are not X or Y, mm-hmm. I mean, you're all, that's the other thing you're going to see, like proof that you are not X or Y. Like we have yeah. this confirmation bias or expectancy bias in ourselves. And so yeah. how do you start telling that other story of like, mm-hmm. oh, yes, I actually am. Yeah, it was it was crazy to me because I very vividly remember standing in San Francisco in front of the Nike building and seeing my name right there. Mm-hmm. All these, you know, San Francisco half marathon Nike women's runners and looked for my name and thought, wow, it's so cool that all these other people are runners. <laughs> Yeah, not me. not me. I don't know how my name got in there, yeah. but you know, it's cool yeah, that my name is next to theirs. There. Yeah. And that's, that's an interesting thing too, right? Is that even with work, you know, like doing internal work and everything, there's always like just this other layer of doing more work and, and how do you claim these different things and, and how do you really stand solidly in this confidence of, oh, this this is who I am now and this is what I own. And and it's it's fascinating to me to talk with clients about, okay, so how do you want to tell this story? And what is that evidence that you need to believe, right? Yeah. Um, like for you to really believe it. You know, after we spoke yesterday, I I, I thought back to a story that I think I included in my book as well. But it's about when I was playing. So I, I've played soccer for most of my life. I haven't in the last few years since COVID. But prior to that, I played all the time. There was always a team I played on or whatever in a men's league, you know, those kinds of things. And for most of my life, I was a defender. And then I got to a point where I just started to become really curious about becoming a forward. And I wanted to figure out what that could look like, what that could feel like. But I always thought to myself, yeah, but I've been a defender. Like, this is where I, this is what I know. And obviously if I'm playing on a team, the last thing I want to do is lead with my weakness, I guess, or my least experienced, like whatever, you know, role. So I'm going to always lean into what I know really well and best, which is, you know, being a a right back, a right-sided defender. And so that's my thing. And I could also be a center back. And so, you know, hey, look, there's some diversity there. It's different. The roles are different, but they're still defender. Well, I remember that I had this opportunity at one point where I was joining another group of guys like that somebody had invited me to join. And they brought me in to, you know, kind of just fill in on a team. So no one really knew me except my friend who brought me there. And the first question that anybody asks when you are joining a team real quick, filling in fast, of course, is naturally, what position do you play? And they really just needed an extra body, I think, at this point. So I don't think they cared what position I played as long as it wasn't like goalkeeper. And so I don't know what came over me that day. But for some reason, I, I just said forward. And, and they don't know. <laughs> they have yeah. no clue. So they just say, all right, well, we need you now. So go ahead, like, take your position up at the top of the half of the field. And I'm walking there thinking, what did I just do? Like, I, these people don't know me. They're not going to like me very much after this, or at least I don't think they are. <laughs> and now I'm standing in the middle of the field in that circle. 
And I'm thinking, this is not my spot. And I turn, and if you turn to your right and look back, you see where I normally stand, which is the right back position, the right defender. And I look at him and I literally think, he looks so happy there. I want to be where he is. I'm literally and figuratively outside of my comfort zone. My comfort zone's on that part of the field in the back. And I am not in my comfort zone right now. I am way outside of it in some circle that is not comfortable for me. And so I'm thinking this is about to happen. Like there is no way out of this at this point, because why would I go back and say, hey, man, I made a mistake. You know, I know I say that I play soccer, but I said the wrong position by accident. I meant to say right back, which sounds a lot like forward, but I, you know, it's my bad. No, I got to suck this up now. I got to find a way to do something. And so the game, you know, started and it ended and I was not good. I did not do well in most ways. I did not do well in just a few things I did well. You know, obviously I was in good shape so I could run really fast. And those kinds of things were like my skill sets. I leveraged whatever skill set I had to add whatever value I could, but I did not add. At one point I fell to the ground. I had gotten tackled. Turns out that no one was near me. I tripped myself. I tackled myself. I was trying to do something that I don't normally do from that position with a ball and running at high speed, which is something a defender doesn't have to do. And all of a sudden I'm like, I tripped myself and I thought somebody tripped me. That was not good. And it was just, it went like that. At the end of the game, I'm just thinking, wow, that was bad. These guys, and I imagine they're sitting there talking, wow, this guy's a really bad forward, you know? And actually they were nice. They kind of said, hey man, thanks for filling in last minute, all that kind of stuff. And they were just, you know, I mean, they didn't congratulate me on a great game, but but they, they thanked me. They weren't rude or anything like that. And it was that moment that I realized, you know what? Holy crap, I'm a forward. And I said, like, I thought that and I said, I'm a freaking forward. I'm not a good one. I'm a bad forward, but I'm a forward. Like as of today, I just did it. And that, I, you know, really connects to what we talked about. Yeah. That was so important. The fact that I was able to give myself the permission to say on that day that I'm a forward, not a good one, a bad forward, but still forward, you know, bad proceeds yeah. forward. So the good news forward is still in there. So I'm like, wow, I'm yeah, a forward. Hey. And, and I'm like, that's a start. Like, it's better than not being a forward. If I was curious about this and wanted this, I just did it. So I'm in it. It's just, you ran the marathon. You're in it. You did it. So you're a runner. Yes. Yeah. And, and yes. it was, but then I learned something that when we say I am, when we give ourselves permission to say that, everything we do after that changes. Because all of a sudden I started to watch or search videos on YouTube for how to train like a forward. I started looking into it. I was like, oh my gosh. So I want to give, I want to do a little bit better the next game. So I started doing that. I went to the, I would go to the soccer field during the week and early in the morning, like 6am when they opened and I would just go and practice by myself. I'd run all these drills that I've never had to run in my entire life. But I just thought, well, these will help me get a little bit better every week, hopefully. And I had the opportunity to continue playing in that role. And, you know, as the weeks went on, I got a little better each time. As the months went on, I started to really see improvement. By the way, it took six months to finally score a goal. Now, maybe if I had not allowed myself to say I am, I bet you the gap story would have been, it won't count until I score a goal. But that's like saying I'm not a writer unless I'm a published author. Or I'm, right. I'm not a runner unless I run 10 marathons. It's like, you know, yeah. we're, we're just setting this extra thing on top of it. And yet we're doing the thing. But it's so empowering. And 
it gives it so much more direction when you finally say I am. And I think that's the key here is when we, no doubt you took running more seriously the moment you were like, I am a runner. And it's like, now you're like, okay, yeah. well, what do runners do? Well, maybe runners do this, or maybe runners exactly. do that, or maybe runners eat this or don't eat that. And you start thinking a little bit differently about, cause you're a runner, you're an author, yes. you know, run authors yes. speak. You speak a lot now. Yeah. You do a bunch of events, yeah. like, you know, cause that's yeah. what authors do and, and you're rock and rolling. Yes. Authors sell their leadership programs. Boom. You're selling yeah. your leadership program. <laughs> So these things happen because we finally accept that. And it's such a big idea. You're right. It's such a big idea in when it comes to reinvention, because we're often making a pretty big pivot. We're going from something, you know, you went from marketing to leadership development, consulting and writing and, and training and all of that. Those are, you know, there, yes, there's some connections there, but they're different things. I mean, let's face it. And entrepreneur, yeah. you, you, I mean, you were an employee yeah. and you went from employee to entrepreneur. And so those are very different things. And, you know, to make that switch, it, to make those reinventions, it's so important that we can get to the I am part sooner rather than later. The other thing about the I am part is as soon as you actually say it and then you believe it, then when you say it to somebody else, then they believe it too. Yes. And and then it's it's this almost virtuous cycle, right? Of like, oh, other people are believing that this too, right? Oh, other people are believing that I'm a coach. And so when I actually claim it, great, then that's what happens, right? So I had a client who for a while was saying, I don't, I don't speak well in front of others. And she was a co-founder and needed to pitch. Yeah. And people were mistaking her for somebody that was like a, just a secretary and taking notes with her, the other co-founder. And so, and she was so frustrated. We worked together for a few months and we worked on like limiting beliefs and all of these different things. And, and by the way, she knows that this is a story that I tell and she's totally fine with it. She, she's super happy with all this. I'm not breaking any kind of confidentiality. She literally goes on TV and podcasts and pitches in front of massive auditoriums now. And she is so amazing at all of this. And we did the funniest thing. Like I had her go and um, on a park bench say, I am amazing at giving speeches. And then she just like gave a five minute, you know, here's why you should invest in our company. Stand it. And I'll be honest with you, I said it almost just on a lark, like to see, you know, hey, yeah. you really want to do this. Like, here's here are three, I like I threw out three crazy ideas for her. Yep. And she's like, I will do the park bench one. I'm I'm on it. Right. From that day on, she felt so much more empowered. And then she started claiming all of these other things that she's so, so good at. And and it changed everything around. It changed the relationship that she had with the other co-founder. It changed how she was perceived. And most of all, it changed how she perceived herself, right? Because when you claim that, you just, you know, you stand a little bit taller, your shoulders are back, you know, like you have this different belief in yourself, right? I love this. You inspired an idea for when I work with clients, you know, to get a shirt made, a custom shirt made. That says, I am whatever the thing is. I am a runner. I am a speaker. I am an author. I am fill in the blank, whatever it might be. Yeah. And do this as soon as possible so that we can get to that path where we start thinking about, okay, well, now that I am, what do I got to do? 
Like what, what does a runner do? What does a speaker do? What does a leadership development consultant do? Because the sooner I can say I am, the sooner I can get to doing what those folks do and improving at that. And I feel like, yeah, you know, I never thought about it in this way, how focusing on this sooner rather than later, you know, if I can almost make this a thing, like I have my clients do almost on day one, but maybe in the first like couple of sessions, it's like, we're going to, yeah. we're going to declare I am because the sooner we do that, the sooner you can finally start doing the things you need to do. Because otherwise, I mean, I've seen it with some clients. It's hard to get them to do the things that they need to do in order to start moving in that path. And I never really considered this until this conversation with you, but perhaps that's the reason why is because they have yet to accept that I am this thing. So naturally any activity that that person would do is going to be hard to do because you're not that. You don't yet see yourself as as a runner, as a writer, as a speaker, as an author, as a whatever. So naturally writing the first chapter or capturing a few stories or all of these actions are going to feel like there's there's like a tension there and you're not exactly sure what it is. Why is it so hard to do this task? It's so simple. Roger, design the exercise as simply as anyone could possibly design it. And yet I can't do it. I'm wondering if this is it for some folks is that they have not declared I am. So naturally all the activities and responsibilities that go with I am blank are hard to do. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're initially thinking I am not. Yeah. Or yep. if you're not, if, yeah, is, if you're not that, I you cannot. are not. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Right. I am or, not. Or I cannot. I cannot. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so the, here's, here's another thing. Uh, I can't remember if it is from atomic habits or or who who I kind of got this idea from it's a little bit of a play on Jim Rohn's idea of like show me your five closest people and I'll tell you who you are but I think the other key thing so like hey you need to believe it but the other thing is like get that squad of people that really also so believes in you I call it a board of directors right like who is your board of directors yeah. That is going to always, you know, be the one that is the leveling you up. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing that I always do is I make sure that I have a group of people that are running for really big goals. It's actually yeah. a small group of people that run mm-hmm. for, you know, these goals. Because I found ever since I was little, if I have someone that is pacing with me and they're a little bit, a little bit faster or... Mm-hmm. I'm pushing them a little bit more, whoever, right? But I don't want to be like you play to that level of game that you play to, right? So like if you're with other people that are really high vibe and they are charging for big goals, guess what? That's what you're going to do too. And so claim who you are and then also find that group of people, you know? I mean, part of mine includes a coach. And obviously like I'm a big proponent of having a coach because, they see those blind spots for you, mm-hmm. but also friends, significant others, you know, like have those really strong bonds and also tell people, this is what I'm, you're going to do. Yeah. I feel like a lot of times people say, well, this is what I want, but I'm not going to tell anybody because if it doesn't happen mm-hmm. and I'm not saying go post it on, you know, Facebook, I'm not saying like you have to go tell everybody, yep. but if you tell your really good friends, then they can also help drive you to that, you know, big place. I think it's why it's so important to have accountability in in a lot of the programs that I do, right? Mm -hmm. And have those like high vibe people that are like, yes, all right, here's where we're going. 
Yeah, I mean, for me, it's, uh, you know, I, I, I mean, it's a mastermind. It's finding that group of people who are all moving, you know, at a certain pace, at a certain level, very similar to you, so that you can run that race with them, alongside them. And to your point, when they're a little bit ahead, it's it's inspiring in a good way. Like it's inspiring. It's motivating yeah. in a good way. It's really helping you at the end of the day. But yeah, this this I am thing. And obviously you would never be in a group like that if you can't say I am. Like you would never take right. that action because you're like, no way. Yeah. Like I'm not that. And so I think this key is really to get to this I am statement sooner rather than later so that we can begin doing whatever it takes to get there. You know, one of the newest ones for me has been around being a content creator. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I've hesitated to say because I thought, well, I'm not sure if I am a content creator. Do I count as a content creator? I mean, I don't have a bazillion followers. I don't have like all these, you know, sponsorship deals and all this kind of stuff. So maybe I'm not. But then last fall, I realized, wait a minute, like, no, like I am. I mean, I am building content. And as I started leaning into that more, I started thinking more like one, which meant I thought about my processes and, and the things I do to create more content. And this year, I really yes. started leaning into it in a big way, building the proper systems, you know, finding those little, to go back to something you said earlier, those consistent little habits, those consistent practices, they could be small, but they're consistent yeah. that yeah. work towards supporting that new truth. And now I do those things and those little bits help. One of the things I'm doing actually, and I don't think I got to mention this to you yesterday, but this week that I'm in right now is a content creation week. So it's a week that I have completely like cleared of all meetings. This doesn't count as a meeting because we're actually creating content. So uh, for a moment, I didn't consider podcast interviews during this week because I thought, nope, I must all meetings, all calls. But then I realized, wait a minute, when we talked about this, I go, no, this is content creation. So That's this it. has to fall this week. So this is perfect week to do it. If I can get a few more, actually, I should try to get a few more this week. But, you know, I thought to myself, I'm a content creator. I need to create the time and space in order to be able to do that creative work yes. um, in yes. all the shapes and forms that it takes. And so I have this list on like a notepad here of all these things that I need to do this week related to content creation. And they're not all sit down and write something or sit down and record something. Some of them are activities that help me build systems to, you know, right. enable myself to be able to capture more content over time. All they have to do with a lot of different things related to content, but they're all related to content. And I was so excited to have come up with this idea. I'm like, yes, I need to create a week for that. And so now this is a prototype that we're in right now. And so far the prototype is going really well. And so what I plan to do is every month I will carve out one week and I have to do it, you know, like about probably six weeks in advance, I have to do it. So I already have my March one carved out, which we talked about will be in Dublin actually this time. So that one I'll take yeah. in Dublin and I'll work mostly on the book, but I probably will work on other content as well while I'm there, you know, that might also work for the book, but also could become a YouTube video, whatever it might be. Yes. But yes. those are the activities. So the moment I really started really leaning into it, I gave myself permission to do that because that's what a content creator needs, the time and the space to create. And so now I have yes. that. And I think as long as these, this one and the next one work out well, April will have one, May, June, July, August, September. I will continue to do this. Every month I will carve out an entire week. Because if I don't, then there's no way I can get this business to grow the way it needs to grow. That's exactly. necessary. So exactly. yeah, I am. I am is so powerful. Yeah. Yes, it is. It's so powerful. And then attaching it to like what the other 
pieces are that you need to do. And if you don't know what those pieces are, like, okay, good. How do you go and figure that stuff out? Who's doing things that are, you know, that you can kind of follow? Or is there some kind of program that you can follow, right? You know, I have clients that will say like, ah, I don't know how to be really good at this relationship stuff. And it just, it feels like too, too much. But you can always break things down into smaller chunks and find out, okay, what are those different habits that people have? What are the good things that they do? And then here's the thing. I love what you're saying is prototyping because you're figuring out what works really well for you. And I think that's the same thing for leadership, you know? Okay. So how do you lead in a way that is really good for you and really good for your team? Like that personalization of your leadership. How do you find the other piece that I'm finding is just so challenging is like, okay, conflict. Mm -hmm. How do you find the style of conflict that you can navigate through that actually builds the bridge stronger instead of continuing to tear it down? Mm -hmm. Right. And all of these things are, are so important because we do make these I am statements that don't serve us sometimes, or I am not statements, or I can't yeah. statements. And so how do you redefine that yeah. and reinvent it, right? Yeah. Like you can actually be good at conflict. It is not a just, mm, nope, I'm not good at conflict, so I'm not going to to try. Or, mm-hmm. nope, I, I don't know how to create content, so I'm not going to try. I feel like in some ways, it's like it's like a pass. of like, mm-hmm. okay, cool. So... I haven't done this before. I'm just not going to. And that's what's cool about this idea of reinvention or, you know, coming and doing coaching. All of it is like, yeah, look, there is a path and it doesn't also have to be hard. You can play with it. You can take a first couple of steps. You can iterate and prototype and then figure out the style that works really well for you. Yes. And, you know, going back to your part of your story where you, you, you know, took that weekend leadership coaching retreat or of sorts, that experiment, those kinds of things are a, a, an act like a physical way of leaning into this. I am it, it's, it's, it's planting seeds. It's kind of like just really nudging you into the, I am before you take a massive, like, you know, pivot and, and make the big decision. I mean, I, you know, for me, I tutored before I quit my first career. So right. I tutored a lot of math before I became a math teacher. So I was very comfortable with being able to say, oh, I, I'm a math teacher. I teach math and I'm like pretty damn good at it. And I know I can become better, but I'm pretty damn good already. I've already shown that. And I did that little bits on the side. And, and I'm not exactly sure. I wish I could think back and maybe I'll have to reflect harder. But what allowed me, why did I give myself like that? Why did I say I am so quickly on that? But I'm glad I did because because I did. Yeah. I was able to really lean into tutoring, work at a learning center, do all these kinds of things while I still had my day job. And in that process, I developed the I am. I also realized I am in love with this. Like I really love yes. this. And I was able to yes. figure that out. And when you figure that out, forget about it. Now you're like, all right, it's time to start moving in a different direction. Because now you know you're not only are you a math teacher, but you love it. Oh, then it's done. So then whatever that good. thing yeah. is, like, you know, you got to get to that point, but it starts with I am. Let's talk about one, one thing. Yeah. So I want to just uh, shift away from this for a moment, but it's probably related to some extent. Let's talk about your definition of success. Like this is, you know, a topic that I love talking to my guests about 
because everyone has a different definition for this. Although somehow, like, I think we all signed up for the same one initially, you know, yeah. uh, the older we get, the more experience we get with life, we realize, oh no, F that definition. <laughs> That's not so, uh, nice. you know, it's not, doesn't fit me. Why did I take that on in the first place? But, you know, I always say like, hey, yeah. sometimes we need a little help at the beginning. So we borrowed that definition. The important thing is that once we realize it's not ours, we shed it. What's yours right now? Well, so first, I feel like society, parents, community, like all growing up, you're almost encouraged to take on that definition of success because it just surrounds you, right? In media and everything. And secondly, I love, love, love this question. This is a question that I talk to all of my clients about. And the reason is, is because I think if we don't examine it, we just buy into whatever you know, we got from our parents or society or whatever, right? That we need this kind of car and this kind of house and 2.5 kids and the white picket fence. And, you know, you need to keep doing promotion, promotion, promotion. And it's too scary to go out on your own and just, you know, stay with the, the current company or whatever. For me, success is, but by the way, I think that's should. Like, I feel like that society shoulds on you a lot and you need to like, let go of the shoulding. Very careful with how I say that word. Um, (laughs) (laughs) To me, it's, it's two different things, right? It's the, the career component of it. I always looked at as like this three-legged stool. So am I learning and growing? Mm -hmm. Am I engaged? And am I making an impact? Right. So I talked about that before and I would look at every single position and if I started feeling itchy or frustrated or whatever, I'd go back. Am I, are these three things still firing? And if they're not, how do I, like I could handle maybe one not being, but if there were two needed to do something, right? Yeah. And for me, the other piece is all about bridges. And so, you know, I wrote this book that's about employee to manager, manager to employee bridge. So I look at, are my kind of career bridges good? Are my like community friend bridges good? Mm-hmm. And then my bridges with my family, especially I have two teen boys. Like, how are those bridges? I want those to be super strong. And we actually use that language in our house, right? Mm-hmm. How are we doing? Do we need to fix our bridge? How are you feeling about the bridge? And we have like little check-ins. And then, mm-hmm. you know, my bridge with my significant other, and we use that language too. Like, do we have mm-hmm. a good bridge? and trust and respect and connection. And I think bridges and having strong bridges, that's part of how I define success now. Do I have strong bridges? And am I good with the things I'm doing? Are they places where I am learning and growing? I'm engaged and I'm, you know, kind of giving back or having a big impact. And if not, then I redefine because life is too short to not have those pieces for me. I love it. It's it's also so on brand with your book and with, <laughs> with what you teach. No, but it, it's great. It, it's really cool to see how, I mean, these are not just ideas you wrote about in this particular case. And and by the way, that would have been okay too, because you could have just explored a topic you were curious about for a book. But these are ideas that, you know, also play a significant role in your life and in how you see all relationships and I, I think this is a really interesting definition of success. I'm, so I'm hearing 
you know, this career piece using this three-legged stool metaphor. And then your relationships are how you measure your success. And if you have both yeah. of these, and I love how you even said, look, I can even, I can work through not having one of those legs. I can figure that out. But if two are missing at any one time, then we got a problem here. And in the same yeah. way, you know what your bridges are. So if your bridges are, you know, decaying and there's an issue with them, then you know, then, okay, I need to work on that. Exactly. Let me ask you a, a question. Um, yeah. Which area of success, which side of success are you focusing more on this year? As you, you know, and because we're at the beginning of the year and obviously, you know, we tend to think of goals at the beginning of the year. Is there an area that you are a little more focused on this year that matters more to you or that My, you set goals around? I, I spent a lot of time making sure last year that my bridges were really, really solid and they're mm -hmm. in an incredible place right now. Nice. Even last year, I also thought about, and this is the next book that I'm writing, the, um, the bridge with yourself, because mm -hmm. that's such a critical bridge and we don't always look at that, right? Yeah. So I started writing a book about the bridge that you have with yourself, that relationship that you have with yourself mm. and spent a lot of time working on that too. To me, I'm working more, focusing more on like on this career component right now. So um, my, you know, expanding my business, doing more. I am loving doing offsites and doing trainings. And so really leaning into an awful lot of that because I just have so much energy around it. Now, if these weren't in a great place, my focus would definitely shift but I spent a lot of time making sure that these were all really, really solid. And so that enables me to, you know, be really yeah. focused now on expanding uh, a lot of the cool stuff that I am doing. Plus it's also feeding me like this, I did this offsite with this team and it, and it was like helping build bridges for them. Yeah. And, and it's just, stuff like that just lights me up so, so mm -hmm. much. So very um, cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I appreciate, you know, all of the insights you shared, your openness, of course, in terms of the stories, the ups and the downs, uh, or as you mentioned, the peaks and the valleys, because I think this is what's most helpful for the audience, you know, to help validate where they are and what they're feeling, but also to know that there are ways to overcome some of these challenges and, you know, to create and pave a better way. I think you and I stumbled upon something really interesting about this whole I am. And perhaps that is the antidote and the cure to this like hesitancy or this limiting belief that we are not something yet, or that doesn't allow us to fully step into that role or whatever that identity is. The sooner we can get to I am, whether it's standing on a park bench or printing out a shirt that says I am fill in the blank, right. then, you know, whatever you do to prove it and to declare it, you know, do it uh, as we learn. Uh, yes. So I just want to say thank you again for all of that. And before we wrap up, where where can we point people to you know we're going to have a lot of your links in the show notes of course and of course to your book um, but is there anything in particular that you want to drive people to and that you want to mention or where people can go learn more about you yeah so if you go to my website which is www.from o like the letter o overwhelmed yeah. to the number two u unstoppable.com. Mm -hmm. uh, you can go and you can find everything about coaching and 
leadership program as well as speaking. So happy to connect with folks there or LinkedIn. And like you said, they're all going to be in the notes, but those are the best places to, uh, to connect with me. Very cool. All right. Well, all those links will be included in the show notes. Kimberly, thank you so much again for all of your time, your insights, your strategies, and all of the great stories. Thank you, Roger. It was amazing to be here. Thank you for listening to this episode of the School of Reinvention podcast. Again, I'm your host, Roger Osorio. If you're ready to start your journey to reinvention and want to walk the path with others, visit www.rogerosorio.com and go to the School of Reinvention to check out for yourself how a community-based coaching platform can help you begin your next reinvention. You can also go to rogerosorio.com to purchase my new book, The Journey to Reinvention, and receive some exciting bonuses. Until next time, make your day great.